Janana. Hi, Emma. How you doing? I'm all right. Hi, how are you doing? I'm okay. Ticking yeah. along. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm staying in someone else's nice house at the moment because I'm cat sitting and that's quite nice. Nice. Like a yeah. holiday. It's like a holiday. Um, sure. With responsibilities. Oh, hmm. More I mean, not many responsibilities. Basically, making sure that there is cat food in the cat food bowl in the morning and the evening. Um, that's that's quite a significant responsibility from the perspective of the cat. <laughs> that is true. Uh, if I know cats, it's by far the most important thing in your life. Um, yeah, it's the only thing they care about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And having a comfy cushion every so often. Yeah. And they ignore everything else, even water. This cat has a nice bowl of water that I refresh frequently. Um, and yet yesterday he just wandered outside and drank dirty rainwater from the back of the um, our friend's kid's you know, toy digger that was sitting in the in the backyard. Sure. It's probably got a better flavour. I mean, yeah. I guess so. It's got some seasoning Aged. in it in the form of, I guess, like dirt and leaves and yeah. things. Yeah. It's got... Um... Like aged, beautifully stagnant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who knows what delicious flavour the cat gets out of gross stagnant water? I do not, and I have no desire to learn. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Oh, cats do their own thing. Um, what we're talking about today, Janina, here on History is Sexy, where we answer people's questions about history. Um, we're answering a very concise and well-put question from Dan Cable, which is just how much of a dickhead was Oliver Cromwell? Yeah, um, which is a long and complicated one um, and a contentious one. And yeah. I suspect that this question comes because Dan's partner is Irish from mm. Mayo. Um, and in kind of Irish um, popular history, Oliver Cromwell is the greatest bastard who ever lived. Yeah, yeah um, he did kill quite bad. a few people there. He so. did quite a few people kill quite a few people there. To be honest, um, that is fair. As spoilers, um, I have come to the conclusion that he was a medium bastard. Mm, I think he's quite a bastard, but maybe not for the reasons you might think. Um, yeah. Uh, so what we're going to do is talk a bit about who Oliver Cromwell was and where he comes from. And what he mostly does. Because it is kind of the Irish thing that is, I think, gives him most of a reputation for being a bastard. Um, and and cancelling Christmas. And cancelling Christmas, which we have done before, and he didn't personally do it. <laughs> <laughs> and people will tell you this, because it was cancelled before he became Lord Protector. Um, so it's, that's not really his thing. He probably did not love Christmas. But, yeah, uh, he was, canceling... he was uh, you know, a religious fundamentalist, really. He was a Puritan. With he was a Puritan. Puritan um, ideals. And he thinks very highly of Puritanism. Um, but yeah, so we'll talk a bit about where he comes from, what he does. Um, his bastardly things are Ireland, um, conquest of and massacres within. Um, this is like the index. Uh, military dictatorship accusations of cancelling christmas accusations of uh and attempting to well colonizing jamaica yeah but also i would say generally just being no fun like there's a reason everyone was so excited when charles ii came back 
to take the throne again. Charles II is very and handsome and sexy. He's and very handsome and sexy, and he brought back parties and fun because uh, Oliver yeah. Cromwell did not like parties or fun. I am. Um, Apparently he liked parties when they were his own parties. He just yes, but he didn't want anyone people. else to have... This is one of the reasons why I think he's quite a bastard, because he is a massive hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> he um, won't let anyone else drink any alcohol or do any gambling or anything like that, but he quite likes to do it himself. Only sometimes. Only on special yeah. occasions. Um, anyway, so we're going to talk a bit through, uh, through him and then decide where we are at the end as to whether he is a bastard. Yeah, I think it's. I think it is official that he is a bastard. Um, like mm-hmm. you wouldn't inv- invite him round or no. install him as leader of your country. He's not someone you're going to have at your fantasy dinner party of anyone living or dead. No. Well, maybe I would just to see what it was like. Yeah. <laughs> There's very it's such a little... risk though, because you have to. He has to stay there for the whole dinner party. It's not like you can chat with him for five minutes and then if you're not keen, send him on his way. You're committed True. to spending an entire evening with him. But if it was my only chance, I probably would. Mm. I'd probably deal with it. It's only an evening. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you only get to do it once and maybe instead of getting Oliver Cromwell, that, like if you want him, that means you can't have, for example, Charles II, who would definitely be super fun. Charles II would be more fun. And I don't know that I would invite them both because I feel like that would uh, degenerate very swiftly. It would be a tease. Into an argument over Catholicism, <laughs> which I don't yeah. want. Yeah. Um, they, they would just get into a big old argument about mass <laughs> or tithing or something, e- or with the role of a bishop or something equally as tedious. Um, but... Uh, I, the thing I found interesting in all of my reading, and I read a couple of biographies, and maybe the I didn't really read popular biographies; they were quite academic-y ones. Maybe it comes through more in like the main one I read was the Martin Bennett one. Um, with he quite likes him. I think he doesn't think that he is a the world's most brilliant man, mm-hmm. but he definitely thinks that he is maligned. Um, and he refers to Charles II as Charles Stuart the Pretender uh, <laughs> all the way wow. through. <laughs> wow. Um, which um, gave away some of his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, also just like, you can't... You can be you can be anti-monarchy. I absolutely support be anti-monarchy. That's that's fine. You cannot pretend that Charles II was a pretender to the throne. Like, he was no. the heir to the throne. Um, he was definitely the heir. Um, but yeah, so he calls him calls him that. Um, and then he kind of ends the whole book by saying something like, "Oh, um, no, nobody." Um, remembers him now and that he's got no monument to him and that's a great shame because he was all right really uh uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um which is um possibly a bit kind to him because he is a bit useful um and then I, re- I read a really old one by christopher hill which is a kind of classic called god's englishman um mm-hmm. who kind of tries to find Oliver's personality but it's really hard (laughs) this is the thing with both of them is that I felt that there's one book which I think by Peter Gaunt which says that like 
the personal Oliver disappears at some point and it's really hard to see a person, which I think is why he is so fascinating. Mm. Um, but he is hard to pin down and to imagine him as a person. Um, yeah. And the descriptions of him as a person are quite different at different types of his life. Um, but anyway, we'll go yeah. through. Um <laughs> We will start with chatting um, about who dear old Oliver was. Uh, he is a, a member of the gentry. Um, <laughs> he is a, a gentleman of moderate means in the beginning of his life. He massively overstates his own humility when he was born um, and likes to try to sell himself as somebody who clawed his way up from nothing. Um, mm-hmm. but he is related to Thomas Cromwell of um, Big Henry's Court uh, yeah. who spearheaded the um, Reformation in England and the dissolution which is where a lot of their money came from obviously mm-hmm. from stealing <laughs> um, from the church it's no wonder he was anti-Catholic it's where he got all family money from yes um, and his um, uncle is um quite big in in James I's court um, mm-hmm. and his uh, grandfather was quite big in Lizzie One's court so they are um, a family of means and had previously been in uh, big in courtly circles but they had um, kind of reduced slightly under the rule of Charles I which is um, where his life begins Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to Cambridge, he went to Sydney Sussex College. So definitely a fancy man. So definitely a fancy man. Um, and then he has this period, he first becomes an MP um, just before what's called the personal rule, uh, which is when Charles I got annoyed with Parliament, declared that he had a divine right to do whatever the fuck he liked, um, mm-hmm. disbanded Parliament and then didn't recall them for 11 years. Sure, which we have we have seen how much trouble that can make in monarchies that are trying to establish democracy on some level. Yeah. We've talked um, before about, you know, similar situations. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it's a really interesting relationship because this is um, the Stuarts, this is um, still trying to work out what, the relationship between parliament and the as a representative of landed people um Mm. with elections and the king as a person who is put there by god yeah um and what that is supposed to be and we've had the magna carta which says that there's a relation this is what the relationship between the barons and um the king is uh, yeah. But now they're not really barons. Now they're all like lads from Ely, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, who are landed gentry, but not necessarily people of the aristocracy, which would be considered to be kind of divinely inspired as well, or be have kind of some kind of God-given right to rule. They're, We're they're not just sort of talking elected. about the rights of the peerage, who are all, yeah. all of their the titles and everything to the monarch so we have a vested interest we're talking about the rights of normies which is yeah, an exactly. entirely different thing 
Or at least semi-normies. Rich normies. Rich normies. Uh, And so that is becoming challenging and Charles does not like it very much at all um, and dismissed it. And he is levying taxes, which are of dubious legality, and martyring Puritans (laughs) left and Mm -hmm. right and chasing them out of the country. Um, And lots of weird stuff is happening in the... um, in the aftermath of the Reformation in England and the collapse, and like it's a weird time where there's no yeah. Parliament and the King is ruling as though it is, um, as and though he's a Plantagenet or there's something. There's still a lot of effort to figure out what Protestantism is and should yes. be. Yes, um, which is as fourteen thousand different types of Protestantism, and everyone thinks that everyone else is a heretic. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, and then. Um, during that time, Oliver gets into some arguments with some people um, that end with him being forced by the Privy Council to make a public apology um, for slandering some people who are more important than he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've, then you've, you've got that's where you've got to be careful. Only slander people who are less important than you. Yeah, nothing much will happen. Um, and then he is sent off. Um, he kind of loses everything. He loses his standing in his community, which is in Huntingdon, um, and he has to move away he moves to st ives for some reason sure um has no real income um and so he becomes a farmer sure uh for a couple of years um during that time he has some kind of breakdown um and which fair enough probably would also have a breakdown <laughs> yeah so it's like he's had a stressful few years yeah um and he kind of goes to see a doctor and sees some priests and it is hypothesized that during this time he gets very religious um, sure and develops a personal relationship with god which is going to become very very important in his life mm-hmm. um and he embraces puritanism puritanism is um focused primarily on purifying the church of catholic influence yeah and like to the extent of believing that anything that looks like Catholicism or smells like Catholicism <laughs> is like actually Satanism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause... So uh, Puritans um, quite regularly believe, and many of um, Oliver's teachers believed that um, the Pope was literally the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And they also was a strong uh, sense that they believed they were living through Revelation. Um, yeah, there's always there's always some Christian group somewhere that are convinced that we're in the end times. Yeah, and they wanted the English Reformation to go much further. They wanted to strip out um, as much of um, and of kind of Catholic tradition or anything that looked even vaguely Catholic from the church. They wanted um, basically. Uh, everything to be um, stripped to its barest, barest bones. Yeah. Um, and work hard and not have any fun, essentially. <laughs> yes. The uh, the idea that uh, godliness means joylessness. Yes. Um, <laughs> no one is because no one is free of sin, basically. Everyone yeah. is sinning all the time just by their very existence and, and so the least we could do is be really miserable about it yeah the least we can do is be is be really <laughs> sorry about it um so that's when he kind of gets into that um 1640 uh, so after 11 years 
um, Charles is forced to recall Parliament um, and have an election to bring MPs in mm-hmm. um, because he wants to go with to war with Scotland, the country that he is also king of. <laughs> Not a great leader, Charles I. Not super good at his job. Um, This is a time when... um, So James I is Charles's father. James I is uh, James VI of Scotland. And he Mm. tried and failed to unify the two countries under one. Um, That doesn't happen until Anne, who is not for a while yet. Um, But... And so Charles is technically king of Scotland and king of England um and ireland but he is having an argument with both the parliament of england and the parliament of scotland (laughs) and he would like to invade his own country please um which requires a lot of money um so he has to recall parliament in the and try in order to try to persuade them to levy taxes that will give him an army because we don't have a standing army at the moment Mm. um this is all important stuff it sounds fucking tedious because it (laughs) But um, in the intervening years, um, Oliver's uncle Oliver has died um, and left everything to little Oliver, um, making him very rich again. And so he had um, moved to Ely and become a prominent member of Ely community because he seems to be one of those people who likes to get involved in stuff, like put him anywhere. And he's like, hello, I would like to run for town council. Yeah, this is the thing that where I start. This is the the beginning of the strain of why I think Oliver Cromwell is a dickhead, um, because I don't know. Keeping enormous amounts of money when you're a Puritan seems uh, <laughs> hypocritical to me. Like, I see. I don't think he, was, he has if huge he was a amounts man of, of money. Principle, I think he would have donated that to someone, the poor maybe. Um, well, they're not really into that kind of thing. They're Calvinists. So I think that everyone should. Work. Oh, yeah, if you're poor, the union. They don't believe in charity, no. really. It's and they also don't think of... the church should have a lot of money. So I guess, what do you do with your money if you don't believe in anyone having any? Um, I mean, you use it for good step, good purposes for yourself. Um, <laughs> sure. But there's no great sense of charity. They think that everyone should work really hard, basically, um, mm. and also that everything is um, preordained anyway. So fuck it. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so he now has enough money. He runs as MP. He's elected as MP for Cambridge. um, And he shows up for the first of a number of things, which I had to make a list of all of the parliaments with names. um, (laughs) Because there are so many parliaments with names. Um, Begins the short parliament. Sure. Um, The short parliament lasts three weeks. That is pretty short. Um, because everybody turns up, takes their seat, says, hello, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. Uh, and immediately all of the MPs go, we would like to talk about the fact that you um, closed down Parliament for 11 years and we've got some gripes. And um, <laughs> Charles said, look, I just want you to do this one thing for me. And they were like, well, would you like to hear our gripes first? And he said, no, thank you, go away. <laughs> um, and that was the end of that. <laughs> Classic. Um, yeah. Uh a little while later, he put, brings them back uh, mm-hmm. because he still can't do what he wants to do by himself. And this is called the Long Parliament. That's a pretty good way of distinguishing between two parliaments. It is. So this is one lasts for like five months, which is um, the amount of time that one is supposed to last. And this is where we have our first kind of eyewitness account of Oliver Cromwell. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as making his first speech in Parliament, or one of his first speeches in Parliament in November 1640. Um, mm-hmm. So just a few days after the Long Parliament was convened. Um, I came into the House, this is for Sir Philip Warwick. Um, he says, I came into the House and perceived a gentleman speaking to whom I knew not. He was very ordinarily apparelled, for it was a plain cloth suit, which seemed to have been made by an ill country tailor. <laughs> His linen was plain and not very clean, and I remember a speck or two of blood upon his little band, which was not much larger than his collar. Wow. His hat was without a hat band. (laughs) His stature was of good size, his sword stuck close to his side, his countenance was swollen and reddish, his voice sharp and untunable, and his eloquence full of fervour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So not an appealing depiction. It's not very appealing. He sounds gross. He does sound a bit gross. Um, but um, and he's speaking in defence of guess what? That's right. It's Puritans. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, because most of what they do all the time in Parliament is argue about church stuff. Um, like it's so important during this period that's the thing when when you have religion so closely intertwined with the state and then you have a reformation which is muddy and ill-defined from the off because Mm -hmm. partly it was just because henry wanted a divorce and then you spend the next couple of centuries going back and forth well i guess it's like what one one century maybe going back and forth and every time you go back one way there's lots of murders (laughs) yeah lots (laughs) of kind of provoking one another and lots and lots of people who we've only got had a couple of generations of people who have been able to read the bible for themselves um, yeah and may come to their own conclusions about stuff in england so um that is occurring anyway so now we're in the long parliament cromwell starts emerging on uh, committees um for things because they have a lot of committees sounds like a fucking nightmare um <laughs> and he uh takes control of a thing called the root and branch bill um which Mm -hmm. aims to basically strip the church of england of everything utterly abolishing and taking away all archbishops bishops their chancellors and commissionaries deans deans and chapters um and so it is a plan to completely strip the church root and branch and then rebuild it from the beginning um while charles is standing in the background going about that tax lads uh, <laughs> yeah really want to pop up to scotland with an army yeah i get some um, money at this point um something really massive happens um which has an immense impact on english and irish history for the rest of time um <laughs> which is the irish rebellion in ulster and leinster uh, in october 1641 which is pretty uh, grim. <laughs> which is extremely grim. It is a um, widespread uprising um, led by a number of um, Irish Catholics which aims to remove as many um, planted settlers in Irish in Ireland as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because throughout the Tudor period, uh, there had been a program of settling english and scottish protestants in ireland and confiscating land from irish people um and giving it over to um the settlers basically yeah 
Um, which was, weirdly enough, and this will surprise you, unpopular. <laughs> Turns out colonialism is bad and people don't like yeah. it. And if you remember when we did the clothing episode, there was lots of stuff about who was and wasn't allowed to wear comfortable Irish clothing and who was and wasn't allowed to wear um, particular kinds of beard and who was and wasn't allowed to do various kinds of things. Um, And there was a real effort to basically um, introduce as much Protestantism and... um, english and scottish stuff into ireland as possible was to change people into being um the proper protestants they thought they should be yeah and it is part obviously a huge part of that is religious but it is also your classic colonizer attitude of the irish are savages and we're here to civilize them and we have to do that by force even if they don't like it because yeah the um, english inherently think that they are inherently better than everyone else yeah do all um, things because of that and they think that the Irish are literal barbarians. Um, yeah. And it confuses them that they look so much like the English. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a, it's a terrible occurrence. Um, it's very unclear um, what occurs because there's no real writing from the Irish side, um, but there's a lot of writing from the English side and the English and Protestant side is like 200,000 people were murdered in their beds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, kind of academic kind of guesstimates are less than that um (laughs) but it was pretty terrible basically they took back a load of land and kicked off thousands of settlers from um from land they had been granted by the king and country um forged a proclamation claiming that they were doing uh, the king's bidding in order to (laughs) confuse everybody um Mm -hmm. and then did commit some massacres Uh, and anywhere from four to twelve thousand people were killed over which is a massive margin of error (laughs) which is a massive margin it's still not two hundred thousand two hundred thousand is probably the number that oliver believes um because this becomes a massive propaganda thing um Mm. and it horrifies the people in england it horrifies the um people uh the kind of english government in ireland um and a lot of anglo irish people are in and around ireland um and it freaks them all out and they are disgusted and horrified um yeah. and um things like the Porterdown massacre um where uh about 100 people were um thrown off of a river uh, thrown off of a bridge um, into a river and that kind of thing. Um, sounds fucking bad because it is fucking yeah. bad. Um, not, a nice, so, not a nice wee pocket of history. It's not a nice wee pocket of history. So this happens. There's massacres all over Ireland. They take control of various bits. Um, Ulster is falling into chaos. Um, Leinster, which is where Dublin is, is um, not going much better. Uh, and everything goes badly. Um, this kind of accelerates problems in Ireland, obviously, um, and also uh, accelerates problems that are occurring in London because um, it makes Charles really aggressive, it makes Parliament more belligerent, everybody is shouting at each other and it's excellent shouting at each other. Um, Mm -hmm. Because of this fake proclamation, there is a rumour that the King sponsored it, um, Mm -hmm. which makes Parliament hate him. Um, 
And then the parliament put together a thing called the Grand Remonstrance, which is brilliant. Um, it's a, and take it's it a to great court. name for you. And I tell you, this period is really good for naming things. <laughs> Everything has a name. You have to wonder if they got, they that they came up with that name and they were like, we, we could have done better with the long and short parliaments. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we, we get some good more parliament names, so don't you worry. But yeah, the Grand <laughs> Remonstrance. Um where they basically write out a massive telling off of the king mm-hmm. and read it out in parliament and berate him for all of his fa- all of his failures as a king and a leader and say he's shit um, and then demand that he give them all sorts of powers over taxation and the military and also that he lets them take sole responsibility for the education and marriages of all his children. <laughs> uh-huh. That one might be going a bit far. I mean, um, I guess you're raising the next king at this point, so maybe yeah. you want to make sure that he's not going to be as shit as this one. Basically, they're like, we should take responsibility for raising the king, and the king should be like the servant of parliament, essentially. Yeah. And we should be running the country, not you. Uh, but Charles is very much a divine right of kings kind of lad. So he's Yeah, it like, takes a few generations for the monarchy to leak off that idea. <laughs> it takes a very long time. Um, so he basically ignores it, um, they publish it so that everybody can read it. And this is like a time when a pamphlet can do a lot of damage. Yeah. Um, a leaflet, a pamphlet, any kind of th- thing with a title that's as long as the words are written in it. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody reads them because there's fuck all else to do. And then <laughs> riots kick off. Sure. Um, the king then makes a terrible, terrible mistake um, and marches into parliament while it is sitting... Mm-hmm. and tries to arrest five MPs for treason. <laughs> and when I say marches in, I mean he personally, with Trots a little retinue into... of arms, storms into Parliament um, and tries to arrest them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for him, the victims had been warned um, and had fled already out of London, and so Charles just looks like a massive twat who turns up and threatens <laughs> Parliament of elected officials. Like, where is George? What? He's not here? Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, and kind of a b- bunch of braying lads who are like, boo. Um, mm-hmm. And he was humiliated. He looked like a tyrant. Um, even though only eight people in the whole country can vote and they all vote for themselves, um, it still looks bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he had to flee London and, long story short, uh, civil war breaks out. Mm-hmm. Um, in all of this, um, Cromwell is kind of sitting around, basically, anytime anyone asks him anything, going, do you think we could do anything about... Puritanism! Puritanism. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. He um, is a kind of mid-level MP. Like, he's not the lowest of the low. He's not the leader of a gang. He's... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Just like um, a jobbing politician. He's one of the middle guys. He gets invited to the important meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not leading the important meetings or deciding where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what happens is war breaks out and over the... Um, period of the war the english civil war it turns out that um oliver cromwell is a literal military genius yeah just out of nowhere really out fucking of nowhere. Good at it. he has no military experience uh, at all 
as far as anybody knows. And this baffles people. In every book, they're just like, maybe he had some from somewhere. Maybe someone taught him something. <laughs> like, it just seems impossible that he could have come out of nowhere and been both a really inspiring leader to his soldiers mm. um, and a kind of a great guy that they love to be around and a st- kind of strategic genius as well. Maybe he um, just played a lot of risk. Maybe. Um, but mm. he's in his 40s and all of a sudden he goes from being kind of mediocre bloke with a mediocre face and a filthy clothing um, <laughs> to just rising through the ranks at a lightning speed. Like war yeah. breaks out in like April and he's a troop captain overseeing about eight people. Um, and he's then promoted almost immediately to colonel. Mm-hmm. Um and then he is just keep being promoted from there um, because he's just so damn good at beating yeah. people and sieges um, and um, is really, really good at thinking through kind of long-term strategies and also looking after his men and doing that thing when uh, making sure that they that the people in the ranks are kind of looked after and always paid on time and... Um, yeah, he he does seem to have been a a good like a good manager in yeah. that he looks after his soldiers but he also doesn't let them off the hook when they yeah. act out. Like there are stories from we're not we're not in Ireland yet, but once we get like there are stories of him so if if his soldiers mistreat Irish people, he they face consequences. Like he hangs a couple because they steal chickens from an Irish farm and yeah. uh, he so he is a um a fe- like, it does seem a fair-minded, reasonable. Well, as much as hanging people is ever fair-minded, reasonable, but like, but yeah, as a like, leader of people, he is clear and decisive and logical. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and he knows what he wants, and he will come up with a good strategy and lead that strategy well. Um, and he marches all over England doing all kinds of boring warship. Um, well, I've just written blah 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 on the basis that I like, <laughs> do not care. There about... is a civil war that starts in 1643, and in 1649 it ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it ends because uh, they capture the king and execute him. Um, yeah. Which uh, Cromwell is a signatory. By this time, he has reached a massively high point in his career, and he is like the man in the army. Um, yeah, and. He uh, is a big fan of executing the king. Um, this is where things go start to go a bit dodgy, uh, almost immediately, um, <laughs> which is that they hold a parliament in order to um, kind of vote on whether they can try the king for treason. Like, yeah. is treason something which is done against the king, which is what it was for a long time, or is it against the country? Um and so there is a long, um, a, a long debate over that. This is called. This is, I think, maybe my favourite Parliament, uh, the Rump Parliament. It's a very good name for a Parliament. Um, because um, a guy called Thomas Pride basically purged the member, the membership of anyone who he knew was opposed to trying and executing Charles. Yeah, literally, just didn't let them come into. The no, building. they were just. He just stood outside the building and prevented 231 people out of 400 from coming into the building. <laughs> uh, and 45 of those that he knew were either on Charles' side or not were imprisoned for a day or two. Yeah. Um, so it's not the, the most democratic of parliaments. 
Yes, it's not much of a debate when you prevent everyone from <laughs> no. who might disagree with you from turning up. Um, that's just uh, uh, just a conversation with some friends who agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that happens. They execute him. Um, and a council of state is set up with 41 members, of which Cromwell is the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, once this has been happening, for this entire time, Ireland is... Um, going a bit uh downhill still it's not going great guns um, it's been pretty it's been pretty civil war itself right for the ever it since has the Ulster massacres yes and it is now being led by a thing called the irish uh, catholic confederacy um which has its own oath and is um this um period of um government from kilkenny um where kind of irish catholic nobles are ruling the country which is the last thing that um that england wants so they send cromwell in um to go and um sort ireland out and get it back basically um which he does (laughs) he does with his own little massacre with his own little couple of massacres so he's there for 40 weeks Mm -hmm. um which is a very short amount of time during which time his entire reputation is made (laughs) uh and he starts about a minute and a half after he arrives um he lands in august 1649 um and in september he arrives in the city or the town of Drogheda, mm-hmm. um, which is about two weeks later, um, and uh, he immediately um, demands surrender from the government. Um, yeah. He is, um, Arthur Aston is the governor of Drogheda. He is actually an English uh, royalist um, who supports Charles mm-hmm. um, and would support Charles Stuart, the pretender. <laughs> As My favourite thing about him. him is that during the siege, his own grandmother plotted to betray him to Cromwell um, with a bunch of other, you know, important ladies of the city had this big plot. And so he just like booted her out of the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so by this time, however, Cromwell has spent the entire war besieging people. Um, and marching through Wales and England and um, fighting people um, and is very good at sieges. It's yeah. a particular um, a particular speciality of his, shall we say. Um, and so he takes Drogheda surprisingly quickly, um, mm-hmm. but nobody in Drogheda goes down easy. Um, and this is the, the thing, the thing, yeah Um, because they kill everyone (laughs) they kill everyone now see this is the question there is a big question hanging over this and when you read the book so there's a couple of books um by uh there's one by a guy called tom riley uh who Mm. is an irish guy um and there are a couple of others of um people arguing over whether this is something which um he says they murdered everybody and uh, but the terminology that they're using is incredibly vague basically um and when he's saying everybody does he mean oh, we killed every soldier who was fighting or every person in the city the account that i read 
was it was kind of interesting because she talks about a and this this I don't find interesting so I didn't stick in my head very well but the idea that there are specific there are rules to war there are rules of mm-hmm. behavior and and what constitutes surrender and how you meet surrender and because um the Irish forces had refused to surrender there's some argument that that meant that the only possible response was a brutal put down of everyone the command that she claims is that everyone who had been fighting was to be killed and fighting included included in that bracket where anyone any catholic clergy regardless of whether or not they were wielding weapons yeah so Um, there's some famous bits which are um probably the most important bits one the main one that is used is that they set fire to a church of St. Peter um, mm. and then there are five priests inside and they, as the priests come out, they kill them. Um, so those five civilians were very definitely executed. Yeah. Um, and they hunted soldiers and fighters through the streets. Um, and Cromwell ordered that he would give no quarter, which means he wouldn't accept any surrender once he was in the city. Yeah. Um, he... This is his own words. So he wrote a nice letter, which is kind of him, to explain precisely um, what he had done there. Uh, he says, We refused them quarter, and I believe we put to the sword the whole number of the defendants. The soldiers were ordered by me to put them all into the sword, and I forbade them to spare any that were in the, so- in the town. When they submitted, their officers were knocked on the head and every tenth man of the soldiers was killed and the rest were shipped to Barbados. Um, I am persuaded that this is a righteous judgment of God upon these barbarous wretches who have imbrued their hands in so much innocent blood. Mm. So he basically didn't allow people to surrender, um, which um, was considered to be kind of against gentlemanly conduct. Um, And he also did kill civilians, as in the chaplains. Um, uh, His own chaplain wrote a letter and said that none in Drogheda was spared. Um, And then that was published with the addendum in London that it was none inhabitants was spared, um, which is one of the big things from where the idea that he was killing civilians was. Um, yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty crucial distinction. There is a very crucial distinction. Um, whatever it was, about two to three thousand people who were killed, of yeah. which the majority were probably soldiers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and one there are a lot of defences given of this. Um, one, Tom Riley argues that this was not a religious fight and therefore he wasn't killing Catholics for the fun of killing Catholics, which is mm. what a lot of what he's doing is seen as. When that is definitely not true. That is just wishful thinking. Um, yeah. <laughs> another really good one, which I think I texted you because it made me laugh, was um, someone was like, um, oh, if you redefine... Um, if you redefine massacre to mean killing six people outside of combat or six civilians, then there were loads of massacres. And I think we're being a bit mean <laughs> to Cromwell. Um, sure. Um, 
which I, is like if you're starting your argument with if we if we redefine something then i think yeah. it's a poor i mean six argument. people is definitely a massacre but but yeah. basically the main argument of kind of um defending Cromwell is that when we're talking about massacre, what he's doing is massacring soldiers um, and probably he's not killing men, like civilian women and children, basically. Mm -hmm. And therefore it's not like a like a British army in Spain or a British army in a lot of other places or a British yeah, army in is. India putting people in cannons and shooting them out and it is, it is more <laughs> British a, army in laser places. <laughs> Yeah, it's more a part of war, a battle with yeah, soldiers. Yeah, it's and not giving people poison thing. Yeah. yeah. The, so that the, is um, the argument. Antonia Fraser talks about it as a moment of bloodlust. Like, once they took the city, Oliver Cromwell's men and he himself just gave themselves over to this rage. Like, they literally saw red. And it, she talks about it as being a marked, dis, uh, like variance from his normal behavior as a as a commander yes. which was to show mercy to opposing soldiers which is one of the reasons that i came down on yeah i think he's a bastard because if that is true and again i you know i'm not in his head i don't know but like if if you are an army commander and it is your practice to be merciful to soldiers on the opposing side and then what this one time you brutally put everyone down and kill everyone or ship them to Barbados then and then after that you talk about it as if it was a normal and just just thing to do then I I just think that that is bullshit <laughs> this is all part of why why Oliver thinks he's there basically um yeah. which is um he says uh, so what happens is that Drogheda happens, which is definitely at his hands. Um, yeah. Like he orders people and he's going up to people and saying, no, kill them all. Um, yeah. He then goes immediately to Wexford, which is another city which is holding out. Um, and they are negotiating and in the middle of uh, negotiating because the governor is hoping that more troops are going to arrive. Um and they almost accidentally break through the walls, basically. Um, <laughs> they kind of surprise break through uh, while these negotiations are still going on. Um, and the this is a bloodlusty one where the people kind of, the soldiers kind of pour into the city um, mm -hmm. and are killing civilians um, and are killing people as they're trying to escape because it happens. It's not like a thing as it is with normal siege, whereby everybody knows that the walls are about to break or that the siege yeah. is like that there is going to be an invasion and and they can hide. This is people are doing their shopping and then all of a sudden <laughs> um yeah. Cromwell's army is coming yeah. flying down thing and he cannot get control of them. Um and thousands die here. Um mm. which he's not particularly proud of. Um but then so a bunch of bishops um, at uh, Clomentnish um, Monastery write a letter accusing him of attempting to eradicate Catholics um, and hating Catholics and um, wanting them all to die. Uh, and Cromwell says that the reason he is there is because, and the reason that he will give no quarter and the reason that he will be completely unmerciful towards the Irish Catholics is because of what happened in 1641, that he mm. truly believes that um, 
there is like he's thick as shit like he's completely <laughs> wrong about this um but he says that um the irish catholics committed the most unheard of and most barbarous massacre that the sun has ever beheld um which is his description of 1641. Um, He then calls the Catholics in Ireland new intruders in a Protestant nation (laughs) Um, and says that we have come to ask an account of the innocent blood that hath been shed and to endeavour to bring to account by presence and blessing of the Almighty in whom alone is our... um, to justify the same. We come to break the power of a company of lawless rebels, um, which is the... Um, Catholic Confederate um, mm. how having cast off the authority of England live as enemies to human society whose principles the world had experience are to destroy and subjugate all men not complying with them um, so he seems to think that um, in Ireland up until 1641 was a happy little Protestant nation living um, with everybody happily um you and know, then out of nowhere, and out some, of nowhere, all these some rampaging people, Catholics just rampaging Catholics all came up. and murdered women and children in their beds and um, committed slaughters which the sun has never seen such terrors, um, and that it is his God-given job to go and um, basically force all of these invaders. He keeps calling them invaders. Mm-hmm. Um, from Ireland, which they have no right to be in. Um, And so that is his, like, internal justification for why, when he's fighting in England, he is fighting Protestants mostly, um, and he is fighting for a a cause which is um, both religious and also governmental. But in Ireland, he is fighting to get revenge against who pe- these people who he i don't know where he thinks they came from but, <laughs> um, but who have invaded this country which belongs to god which is the protestant god yeah um and he thinks that he has this weird thing where he seems to think along with a lot of protestants to be fair that catholicism is an evil empire specifically the spanish empire um which is the great global power at the time yeah. um but they, it it is an evil empire that wants to come and force everyone to do mass and talk yeah. about transubstantiation, the most disgusting of things, apparently. <laughs> I mean, I have always thought transubstantiation was a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit odd, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, but it's um, it's really it's one of those really weird things where it feels almost impossible sitting from where we're sitting right now to imagine giving a fuck about what somebody else thinks about a bit of bread yeah that hard (laughs) but i mean we can't like it's not like these sorts of attitudes don't still exist like you see religious fundamentalism around even today and that's basically what it what what his deal was and the big problem with it is that inability to consider that the fact that what someone else believes and how they practice their belief as long as it doesn't impact you is really none of your business yeah well that comes about with the enlightenment basically and individualism um this is all about the soul of the nation um and the soul of um what is going to um you know the soul of the king the soul of the leader the soul of the nation's church all matters a lot um it's the same exactly the same arguments that um the spanish used to do their we inquisition exactly because they were 
protecting the one their country from being you know taken away from the one true faith which is what they consider to be the evil protestant empire yeah (laughs) in the north um and and jewish and islamic Mm -hmm. influences as well but yeah Um, it's it's the same argument just on different sides um so everybody hates each other everybody hates each other (laughs) that is his situation what happens in ireland and what makes everybody despise him to this day where if you just kind of stopped someone in the street anywhere in ireland really i suspect that they might not be able to tell you what his job title was at any point might not Mm -hmm. even be able to give you a year but i think anyone in ireland would say he's a bastard um is that following the two massacres um and the thousands of people who died there there is then he spends 40 weeks marching across the country and subjugating everybody else um they ship off um 50,000 people to the west indies as indentured servants yeah it's not great in the following couple of years um there is a famine followed by a plague um, which is partly driven by the fact that all of the land that was previously taken, which is going backwards and forwards, like God knows what, um, mm. is uh, has not been being farmed, um, <laughs> is taken away again, um, and Catholics are forbidden from owning land. Yeah, um, that's not that's not that's not great. No. Um, in a very short period of time, um, Catholic land ownership goes from 60% to 8%. Um, yeah. And that 8% are all people who had contacts who could appeal directly to Cromwell. Um, and this comes up a lot in a couple of, in the books that defend him, which they'll say, oh, look, if somebody went to him and said, can I keep my house? He would say yes. Um, because he seems to have this thing, like I think a thing that a lot of people do when they're a big old racist which is that if, as a general rule, people will say, like, terrible Islamophobic things, but if confronted with a Muslim, if they meet one or they work with one, they're fine. And then they'll yeah. say things like, not you, though. Yeah. Uh, so he that's basically how he is. If you go up to him and say, can I, could I just keep my house? Look, I'm a good guy. Um, and we're like, oh, yeah, sure. You're, yeah, he's I like, yeah, you. all right. Not the rest you. of you, though. The rest yeah. of you are bastards. Um, yeah, so he reduces... Um, the population through the war, the massacres, the um, deprivation of land, the plagues, because um, the bubonic plague also has a bit, bit of a rampage through Ireland as well, mm. the famines um, and the shipping people off to the West Indies, uh, 618,000 people uh, die within a decade, yeah. which is a 40% decline in population. <sighs> yeah. That is more people than died in Russia during the Second World War. And so many uh, people died in Russia during the Second World War. A bigger percentage of the population. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and that is why he is seen as a curse on Ireland. That's not unreasonable. Uh, yeah, because the impacts of what he does, although he does not, is probably not even particularly aware of them, and he is not a particularly big thinker. Um, I mean, I just that... don't think that that's an excuse, though. He was in charge. This happened on his watch. It's like that thing of, like, I remember listening to uh, the Rex Factor episode on Queen Victoria where it was like she was appalled to find out how poorly English soldiers treated Indian people uh, when India was a colony. And it's like, well, she was still in charge. Like, that's, if you're not aware <laughs> of what 
like rampaging soldiers who you have given free reign are going to do, then you probably shouldn't be sending them out. Yeah. All right. Just oh well, that sucks. Are you sure why well, can't be Empress of India? Yeah. Uh, because that's very important to me. Also, I'm going to write my long uh, diary entries. Um, yeah. So yeah. Oliver Cromwell can be the... as appalled as he wants to be about the things that I don't his know army that he was particularly appalled. I suspect he thought that they absolutely deserved it. Oh, yeah. He never really mentions it. Because <laughs> um, he then moves on, basically. Like, he does yeah. this. He is involved in things like... So there is uh, a bunch of acts. There's the Adventurers Acts of um, 1642, which is a, 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 an act to settle people there. Then there is his act of the Act for Settling Island. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Act of Satisfaction. Um, That's a great which, name. I think we can all agree is a cracking name for an act. Um, which is, <laughs> It means that legally everyone has to go out and get theirs. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, what it mostly means is that um, all Irish Catholics are stripped of their land and moved to Connacht. Yeah, uh, that's not good. No, which is why Connacht is one of the um, kind of few places where the Irish language like still exists as a first language. Because um, <laughs> we are almost seen. Yeah, um, because they rounded them up and sent them there, which was not great. Um, But so he's involved in that in a way that he's involved in the parliament. But he then goes off to um, kill some Scottish people uh, who he does not massacre because he does not think that they deserve to be massacred. Because they are Protestants. Because they're Protestants, exactly. They're just foolish royalists um, Mm. who he is told to go and tell off. Um, Unlike (laughs) the... Uh, evil Catholics of Ireland who are baby massacring I don't know, bishop eating bishop eating, baby eating bishops yeah Um, um, he then returns to London, takes his place as an MP again Um, and this is where um, things are starting to kind of go a bit wobbly Um, he returns to being a, a political man Mm-hmm. Um, and picks up um, where he left off, tries to re-enter political life. But at this point, he is so attached to the army. He is yeah. like the go-between between the army and the um, army and the parliament. Um, and then we get the first parliament. <laughs> so, so, so many bloody parliaments. <laughs> uh, the... There are parliaments that go back and forward. Um, there's a first parliament um, and then there is the little parliament, also known mm-hmm. as the bare bones parliament, um, because what is happening is that the parliament can't agree on anything because as it turns out, they all still fucking hate each other. Sure. Um, in the aftermath of war, they've achieved basically nothing except argue about tithing um, <laughs> for the entire time that um, they have been running the country without a king. Um, and so in 1653, um, so about three and a half years after the uh, king was executed, they basically say to Cromwell, do you want a job? <laughs> and they and make him... Enough, he does. He does. They make him Lord Protector. Mm-hmm. Um which is, Which is a, a very good job title. Really good job title. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1653, uh, he is like uh, going to be like a custodian 
and a person who rubber stamps things mm-hmm. and um but nobody really establishes properly what this is going to be um like what is it going to um look like how are they all going to work um they draft a thing called the instrument of government mm-hmm. um which kind of outlines his job um and then he pulls together the first parliament. He immediately moves into Whitehall um, and his wife becomes Her Highness the Lady Protectoress. His wife became a Her Highness? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, and everybody makes fun of them because they are immediately granted like all of the royal properties, basically, um, sure. and allowed to make use of them. And they have kind of certain prerogatives that they're allowed um and he has kind of certain things that he's in charge of like he is the commander in chief of the army which he yeah. refuses to compromise on um and he he's can vet his one true calling which is very good at war yeah and why you don't give that up <laughs> you don't give that up and it's his entire power rests he's not a great politician nobody seems to particularly think he's great he mm. is um primarily becomes famous at this point for giving very very boring speeches (laughs) that are long and ponderous and a guy called Richard Baxter says he speaks incredibly slowly his slow tedious speech is only occasionally awakened in some passion and he is more disposed to speak for many hours than to hear one and heeds very little of what another said when he has spoken himself Uh uh-huh so he's a pub bore um, so his two big things are that he won't give up being commander in chief of the army, um, and he wants there to be he wants the parliament to stop arguing about heresies so much or Protestant mm-hmm. heresies. Um, he will not back down on Catholicism, which is obviously worse than anything. Um, yeah. and he will not back down on certain forms of Protestantism. Hates Quakers, really hates them. Yeah. Uh, for for reasons. Uh, not mad keen on Anabaptists but um, is willing to tolerate them. And basically, he would like Parliament to stop spending all of their time arguing about whether to burn an Anabaptist and whether to ban a book. Um, Mm -hmm. An Anabaptist, for those who don't know, is people who don't believe in infant baptism. They believe that baptism should be taken in adulthood or adolescence and should be a freely made choice. Um, so, so what Baptists do now, basically? Yeah, Amish are Anabaptists. Um, I think um, I think a lot of Protestant religions are basically now Anabaptists. Like you don't. Well, they, you make a um, yeah. Um, there is a an idea of having a second baptism as well. Um, but I think uh, yeah, most most of the churches that I was in growing up, it would be like you would when you're when you're a baby, you might do a um, you might be dedicated, which is nothing to do. With, you don't get baptized with water or anything like that. It's basically just a the you you know your parents take you up and are like we will raise this child in the church. Yeah, and that's it. But it's not like a it's not really the same as baptism. Interesting. Mm. Um, because I definitely like Church of England is definitely like you get baptized when you are um, a child, uh, and you um, that's when you enter the church and are a member of the church. And mm. most English Protestantism, I would say, is um, mm. is that. 
But um, but yeah, so that's what they believe, uh, and they think that this is disgusting because um, I don't know. They care very much about the souls of babies, um, and but they spend. And they, but they also think that babies are automatically going to go to hell if they're not baptized. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, uh, so. Um, he does. He also insists upon vetting all of the MPs. So the MPs are elected, um, mm-hmm. and then he goes through all of the uh, backgrounds of the people who have been elected, um, and mm-hmm. prevents those who he thinks are troublemakers or who are royalists or who don't agree with him. And he won't let them take their seat. Sure. Yeah. See, that's that's dickhead behaviour. Yeah. Um, that <laughs> first parliament does not last very long, um, <laughs> obviously, uh, because he gives a big old speech, tells everybody off for being useless, um, <laughs> and then closes parliament and says that they're not allowed back in until they have subscribed to an oath of fidelity to the protector and the commonwealth and to the fundamentals <laughs> of the instrument of government. Does this remind you of anybody? <laughs> it, funnily enough, it does. <laughs> Uh, so he's going to an argument over who owns the army, which is another thing that Charles was really interested in. And then he won't let anyone in until they agree with him. Yeah. Um, 80 people never sign and are never allowed back in. Um, well, which, yeah. Yeah. Um, he then, they then keep annoying him by doing things like burning books and fussing about things that he thinks they shouldn't be fussing about. Um, mm-hmm. So he... After he brings Parliament back, he changes the calendar and cheats a bit and says, "Oh, you've been for five months." And they say, "No, it's not been five months. We've still got another couple of still got another couple of weeks left." And he goes, "No, it's been five lunar months, and that'll do." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was like, "We've not used lunar months since Julius Caesar." He's like, "It's fine." Um, yeah. So he keeps doing this kind of thing, and then he complains that they don't talk to him enough, um, <laughs> and he just seems to be twiddling his thumbs a bit. Like nothing is being created; everyone is just sitting around mm-hmm. arguing with each other. There's a war with the Dutch over something that was too boring to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, the he ends. Um, then there is an attempted royalist uprising to bring back Charles or bring Charles to in. Um, which really freaks out Cromwell. I mean, that's fair. It, would, it should freak him out. Yeah. He'd yeah. lose his job. Yeah, he would definitely lose his job. And he was very against, you know, the whole king thing from the beginning. Mm. Um, so he um, personally uh, kind of reorganises the whole of England and Wales and separates them into 12 regions and puts a major general from the standing army, which is a new model army, um, mm in charge of each of the regions with their own personal like militia so he basically separates everything into a military district and puts the army in charge of it yeah um, and then gives them the power to collect taxes and to impose all of this legislation that he has come up with which is all puritan moral legislation of course mm-hmm. and this does wonders for his reputation <laughs> <laughs> Because no Everyone one loves it. Anything more than living in like Bath or Newcastle or something and living the happy little life, occasionally saying bugger it or um, snogging a woman who isn't their wife or uh, shouting, oh my God, if they stub their toe. Uh-huh. Um, and all of a sudden, there is a Puritan army 
hanging around all the time, fining people for swearing, fining people for saying, for God's sake, um, mm-hmm. arresting people for fornication. Um, and obviously, because people are people, immediately everybody starts telling on each other. Yeah, because um, that's a good, that's a time-honoured way of getting out of trouble yourself. Just yeah, or just to else. piss somebody off if they've annoyed you. Like, did he steal your pig six years ago? Well, now you can tell everybody that he's having an affair with Mary from the pub. Um, yeah. And he'll be arrested and you'll get your revenge. Yeah. Um, And on the one hand, this did um prevent any more royalist action, which probably pleased him. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand... um. It upset literally everybody. Even people who would <laughs> nominally have been on his side suddenly found everything about their life ruined. Um, yeah. And it also made it much easier for him to do things like impose the banning of Christmas. Um, <laughs> which everybody There were suddenly despised. people there to check that no one was secretly having Christmas. Yeah. And you were supposed to, um, like by law, you were supposed to go to work on Christmas Day. You were supposed to treat it as a normal day mm-hmm. and pretend that nothing was happening and not have any kind of like just nothing you're supposed to just pretend like it's a normal wednesday yeah um but instead people closed their shops and had little parties and gave each other presents and celebrated father christmas and he because you uh, know what those things are nice to do yeah but (laughs) now all of a sudden he had the military going around knocking on people's doors going why haven't you opened your shop what are you doing in there look Mm. like you're having a nice glass of wine yeah, suspicious. Any reason for that? Is there a roast in there that I see? Yeah, exactly. Is that a turkey I see? <laughs> uh, um, so all of this has gone uh, going reasonably badly, but for uh, because everything is still collapsing in government, and astonishingly this is still not going well, um, he has offered um, the crown. He has offered to be allowed to be king. Um, Which is not... A- like, I mean, I guess that is how kings do work. It's just been a long time since that's been how someone has become king yeah. in England. So they bring to court something, uh, bring to court, bring to parliament, um, basically the Cromwellian version of the Great Remonstrance. Um, mm-hmm. which, and I like the the balance of how they're approaching the different people here. With Charles, they came with the great remonstrance. Like, mm-hmm. we are here to remonstrate you. With uh, the military genius Oliver Cromwell, they turned up with something called the humble petition and advice. And <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we don't want to overstep, but... we just got some thoughts. <laughs> Thought number one, would you like to be king? Um yeah. Basically, they wanted to reduce the size of the army um, and take it away from Cromwell the person um, Mm -hmm. as Lord Protectorate. They wanted to give Parliament control of the army and taxation, um, which they had lost somehow. um, And um, they wanted to give him the job of king, basically. Um, And he took six weeks to think about it. I mean, he... Would have less power as king, right? Because then he would yeah. have to work with parliament. He wouldn't be controlling it anymore and he wouldn't have the army. Exactly. He wouldn't have direct control of the army, yeah. Um, and so he would have lost his power and it would have been a complete kind of change of everything. And you mm. can we kind of... People who have indeed written entire books over why he decided not to take it 
Um, I think probably just because he would have had less power. Yeah, and I suspect that the fact that he executed a king um, would have something to do with it as well. Like, there's no way he's not lying in bed going, remember when we chopped the king's head off? Um, (laughs) So he says that he doesn't want to because, um, and this is good, he says that it's basically... uh, (laughs) If it was God's will that he was a king, he would be a king already. Because um, yeah, he would have been born... His father would have been a king. <laughs> exactly. But he was placed by God to be a good constable to keep the peace of the parish. Um, and he is uh, very happy to keep that. So they go, okay, we'll change it. Um, so they make the protectorate a kind of permanent job and a non-hereditary one whereby the protector can um, choose his own successor Mm -hmm. Uh, which sounds like a good idea and I can't help but suspect that they might have been thinking of people like Trajan and Hadrian um, and Antoninus Pius I think a better better way to go would have been deciding that like parliament should choose the next protector yes that definitely admittedly parliament at this time could not agree on whether they should sit down or not like Mm -hmm. they if you said to them could you vote on whether the sky is blue they would have a long (laughs) argument for the next six months about what blue really is and whether it's godly um and if we're saying that the sky is blue what does that say about the bible hmm? Mm. um so they couldn't really agree on anything. So they allowed him to say that he could choose those. And I do suspect that they were thinking that he would choose somebody like from the ranks of nobles, the ranks of, well, not even nobles. He um, would choose one of them, probably. Yeah, or someone from a council. So he was give, he had a council of advisors who met three times a year um, mm-hmm. to give him advice on things. And I think it was kind of assumed he'd pick someone from that. Um, yeah. Of people who had proven themselves worthy and good at it. What he did was immediately pick his useless son, Richard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Who is, in all pictures, looks like this kind of blinking little blonde boy who doesn't know what happened. He was, like, playing video games in the corner and they were like, you're the protector. And I was like, what? (laughs) Me? No, thank you. Um, Anyway, this... if I think more than anything, this is the... Like, in long term, this is such a bastardly thing that he does picking his shit son. Like, he couldn't have chosen someone. He was useless as a protector. Like, he achieved nothing. Yeah. Except destruction of stuff. Yeah. What he was good at was army, and they should have just left him as a general or whatever, and... Done but there doesn't seem to have been him. anyone who is any better around. Like, no one else really emerges as someone who could have been a great leader of the country, who could have held everybody together. And yeah. kind of, you know, there was no Thomas Cromwell, for example, who you could imagine in this situation, like negotiating and um, bringing people together over common interests or finding ways that would please people um, and maybe being able to move forward into rebuilding the um, Republican England into something that worked. Um, But all Cromwell did was kind of walk around and smash stuff up um, and then step back a bit (laughs) and go, I assume you'll do something about this. (laughs) Um, and kind of had no vision for what he wanted England to look like particularly except that he was in charge of the army Um, 
His only particular vision, and this is extra bastardliness actually, was his kind of great thing, which is not mentioned in very many books. And I only got into detail because I found a book specifically about it. Um, <laughs> was he colonised Jamaica? Sure. Um, in 1654, his like great movement um, when he became Lord Protector was to uh, put together something called the Western Design, mm-hmm. um, also known as the Western Expedition, which was an English Protestant attempt to challenge and then ideally take over the Spanish Empire by starting by colonising Jamaica and the West Indies, and then he was going to move out and um, attack Cuba, and then he was going to go to mainland America. Mm-hmm. Um, they built thousands of warships in order to do this um, <laughs> and this was part of what shipping all of those indentured servants over from Ireland from like picking them up yeah. from Belfast and sending them do. to the West Indies was part of um, and it was part of a start to um, in his own words uh, strive with the Spaniard for the mastery of all those seas sure that's the problem is that once someone does empire everyone's got to do empire yeah. like because it becomes a competition and then like no one no one's allowed to opt out yeah mm-hmm. um and so he um he that was also kind of a failure he colonized jamaica but couldn't really get any further than that um and then sort of lost interest in it a bit when it wasn't yeah. immediately brilliantly successful um but that was like the only thing he tried really to build. Um, and he didn't have the skill or the will to yeah. push forward um, or to draw people around him in such a way that they would do stuff for him. He just seems to be a bit shit. Mm. Which is why he dies in 1658 of natural causes, um, just in his bed. Yeah. Uh, Richard becomes Lord Protector, kind of turns around in a circle for about three months um (laughs) and then everyone says let's have kings again and they're basically i mean there's like a whole load of stuff with there's the return of the long parliament that's quite good Mm -hmm. um uh so basically they call back the 65 last standing um veteran mps of the long parliament Mm -hmm. um who come in uh who achieve nothing except they um, invite the Scottish army into England um, because the Scottish are promising that they will support the parliament against everybody else, um, specifically against the army who uh, are not big friends with... The English army are not big friends with parliament, Um, which is why they probably shouldn't have let Cromwell keep hold of the (laughs) army. the Scottish come in led by a guy called Monk who immediately turns around and purges it of all the liberals who still believe in the Republic, um, leaving about four people standing, which is then called the Long Rump. (laughs) (laughs) It's very good. Yeah. Um, They then bring back a load of bring in a load of conservatives um, and royalists who have been hiding out um, and they say, let's bring back Charlie. Yeah. Um, and Charlie returns with all his wigs and parties are restored. And everyone has a bit of time. Well, yeah, and everyone has. There's um, always someone loses out, but um, I think I would have had more fun. 
Um, yeah, sucks to be pure artisan. But that's okay because then they all just go to uh, America and start doing witch trials there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and everyone is basically so relieved um, that they have a leader who is charismatic mm-hmm. and is willing to just stand up and say, look, I'm the king, what are you can do about it? Um, yeah. And has a, wears a good suit. Um, mm-hmm. And is quite good at negotiating with people and um, getting people to move along. Yeah. Um, that they, everybody's kind of exhausted from, this has been going on since like the beginning of Charles's reign, but it's like a long time, like 30 years worth of everybody just fighting Yeah, constantly. everything just being grim. Um, and so they're just like, all right, fine. Yeah. Um, and just... then Charlie has... A whole new country worth of women to shag. Yep, and everyone <laughs> gets drunk and starts putting on saucy plays. And saucy plays, yeah. Yeah. And everyone Christmas loves a back. good restoration comedy. It's a great yeah. time. Everywhere except Ireland, which is still fucked to this day. <laughs> yeah, well done, the English. You fucked it so bad that it has yet to recover. Yeah. Uh, so the answer as to how... Actually, you know what? I've talked myself round. From my research, I was convincing myself that maybe he wasn't that much of a bastard, but I've talked myself round into him being yeah, a massive he was bastard. Yeah, he was a massive bastard. And, like, you could argue, I guess, that he didn't... Like, maybe he just shouldn't have been Lord Protector and that was a that was a mistake. But I... Yeah, I just... There's, there's just a lot of... I mean, of bringing in Lord Protector was a mistake. Like, but, everything yeah, from beginning yeah. to end was really badly planned. Everything about uh, about this sucked balls, but yeah, I think he was, I think he was a hypocritical fundamentalist bastard who made life less fun for everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, except his soldiers. His soldiers loved him. Well, um, okay. If he had stayed there, then he would just be a bastard in Ireland. But as it is, he's a bastard everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's the most you but... can say for him. <laughs> No, I've talked myself around. He's useless, yeah. that's the problem. He's very good at sieges. Yeah, um, but we don't like sieges, so that counts don't for like nothing. It doesn't. Um, he's not very clever. He's not very detail-oriented. Someone says at one point uh, that convincing Cromwell is not an earthly task. Um, I just am never going to have any point. time for someone whose base position is that they are always right. Oh, actually, do you want to know the thing... Um, we've been going on for ages, so this can end it. But um, mm-hmm. the thing that actually turned me into like maybe maybe like from moderate bastard to medium bastard mm-hmm. um, was that one of his favourite tricks at parties, which the only parties he had were weddings, but still, mm-hmm. um, his daughter's weddings, um, is that he would find it hilarious to put food on people's chairs just as they were sitting down, so that they sat on the food. I see. This is this is the thing. I suspect as well that if someone did that to him, he would be furious. I don't think he'd enjoy it at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, People but he who thought... like to prank but don't like to be pranked. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's something that he thought was very funny. And I fucking hate pranks. So I also hate pranks. Um, when I'm queen, they'll be illegal. Also, he <laughs> makes me. I, I am a re- Republican person. I think we should abolish the monarchy. I think it is a ridiculous institution that sucks the blood from this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should be gone. Not necessarily with a beheading, but we should just... 
Have you I, ever think, had... I mean, I'd be I'd be happy with a gentle phasing out. No more new royals. Let, <laughs> no more like, new royals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to take away, you know, Charles being a prince, but I don't necessarily think we should let him become king. Just like let let it die. There's a really good book that's quite old now by um, Sue Townsend called The Queen and I, which is <laughs> a, about a world in which the monarchy is abolished and the queen and the royal family all have to move into a council house. Oh, yes, yes. I I have never got around to reading this, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> it's so good. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah. But that'd be fine. Just, I don't know, put them somewhere. Let them only yeah. have one house. Um, yeah. Anyway, but they make me. Cromwell is so rubbish, and the Parliament who set up the Republic, uh, the British Republic, are so rubbish that they make me cheer for a king. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Charles II is a very good king. He's a he's the most fun of all the kings. That, and um, that's all. Like that's the one argument that there is for a monarchy is that essentially the monarchy is like a socialized, a very expensive but socially socially paid for soap opera, and <laughs> they succeed when the soap is very good. And yeah. Charlie the second, very good. He's very good at it. Yeah. Um, but they do make me cheer for the return of a king, and I hate that. Yeah. Oh, well. Um. That's but, just how bad. I rem- I actually remember that being the res- general's response when we studied the interregnum and uh, <laughs> all of Cromwell at high school. Is that um, <laughs> see we did not cover it at school at all. Oh um, really? We we did. Um, that was our final. Like the seventh form history, you could either do New Zealand history or you could do early modern day, modern England, which basically went up to the return of the monarchy, and um, yeah. Everyone was basically like, "That's how bad he is." We're okay, glad to year, have a king. year four, which is like seven or eight or something, we did Tudors and Stuarts, and uh, managed to do an entire year on Tudors and Stuarts without mentioning Oliver Cromwell. Um, I think we possibly got. I, in fact, I don't really know that we did much in the way of Stuarts. I think we probably just did Henry the Eighth. Um, but yeah, not a damn yeah. thing about him. Well. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so the answer to the question, Dan, how much of a bastard is a massive bastard in every yeah, just, way? Absolutely. On a scale of like one to ten, I'm putting him in at twelve. Yeah, pretty bad. His wife and children liked him. Give well, him that's that. nice. And his army boys liked him. And his army boys liked him. Um, so, but still, I'm afraid a massive bastard. Yeah, absolute bastard. What are we talking about next time? And next time we have kind of blending together two questions um, which come from Aussie Earn mm-hmm. and Hannah Amos. Um, and they are, um, or Aussie Arn, sorry, because I think we've had a question from him before and I called him Aussie Earn then too, but it's Aussie Arn. Um, <laughs> and the question is, how smelly slash unclean was the past? Um, yeah. And we're looking at the idea of personal and public hygiene. Yeah, which may go all the way up to today, given the recent revelations about, for example, Jake Gyllenhaal and Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, so we can talk about Elizabeth and her one bath a year. Um, yeah, and I think we, like we might also get into like I don't know Cleopatra and bathing in milk and sure, why not? There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot to go into. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we'll see where that goes. Um, yeah. And if you want to ask us a question or. Um, say hi or um tell us something then oh that reminds me i have a correction from last time Mm -hmm. now adrian mayer 
not at wherever I said she was at that I don't remember now. She's at Stanford. I think you said you yeah you th- you said she was at Yale. She's at Stanford. Stanford. At Stanford. Uh, yeah. So uh, she also disagreed with quite a lot of other things that we said, but uh, I'll stand by all of those. So <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. Um, Not everyone is going to disagree. A lot history is half interpretation. That's fine. Yeah, but uh, I did say that she was from the wrong place, so I'll take that back. She's from Stanford. Mm. Um, or she's at Stanford. So, um, but yes, but if you want to say hello and um, or support us in any way, so we have some new supporters now. We have three new ones since last week. We have Mark Taft, uh, Connor Walsh, and Sarah Golby. So, well, thank hello you to everyone. That's delightful. Um, we are delighted to have you here. Um, if you want to join our subscribers, um, then you can, and you can find it all at historyandsexy.com. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, you can find links to everything you need. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And say hi. Uh, yeah. And uh, until next time. Jenny also, Hill? oh, you know what? Oh. Actually, I've been thinking of we should we should update the merch store. So if you if yeah. you have contact us if you have ideas or requests for for merch, and we might. See what we can yeah, do. we can only have a limited amount of stock in the shop, but we can rotate it and change it up whenever yeah. we want. If you would like something on a t-shirt, tell us and we'll make it. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I also have Emma merch as well. If you want Emma merch, um, which um, is on my website, which is emmasouthern.com. I commissioned somebody to draw um, a, a lovely picture of Publius. Uh, Claudius, Claudius Pulcher throwing uh, some chickens off of a boat and screaming <laughs> and then put it on a t-shirt. That's incredible. Uh, which I'm very happy with. I also have a Drusus t-shirt, which I find hilarious and is only <laughs> hilarious if you've read Lays of Tacitus. Um, but, uh, yes. but if you go to emmasouthern.com, then you can find those as well. <laughs> incredible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Until next time then. Bye, Janina. Bye.